Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, David James Gonzalez, and I'm pleased to be speaking with the pioneering uh, anthropologist and scholar, Arlene Davila, author of Latinx Art, Artists, uh, Markets, and Politics, published by Duke University Press in 2020. Arlene Davila is Professor of Anthropology and American Studies at New York University and the author of several books, including El Mall, The Spatial and Class Politics of Shopping Malls in Latin America, which was published in 2016, uh, Culture Works, Space, Value, and Mobility Across the Neoliberal Americas, published in 2012, uh, Latino Spin, Public Image and the Whitewashing of Race, published in 2008, and truly still one of my favorites, uh, the award-winning Latinos Inc., The Marketing and Making of a People, which I believe was initially published in 2001, but re-released in 2012. Hello, Arlene, and welcome, I should say, welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. Um, It's great to be back, yes. (laughs) It was, I was just reflecting, it's been almost like five years on the dot since the last time you and I spoke, which is about the re-release of Latinos, Inc. That's correct. I believe so. Yes, I remember very well. Uh, Quite a bit has happened. You've published uh, a few books since then. Um, I think since then I finished my dissertation and got a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Correct, yes. Working on my first book uh, and just really appreciate uh, the inspiration and the work that you do, you know, and, and, and your consistent work to... Uh, research and published on new and expansive talk, topics. And uh, the point today is, the topic of today is, is your new book, Latinx Art. Correct. Yes. No, it's uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about this book. Certainly. I, I'm hoping we can start by you just explaining the process of your, you know, how you went about deciding to write a book, you know, about Latinx bar, uh, art with uh, this focus on the artists themselves as well as uh, markets and, and politics and how they intersect with it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I guess, um, I mean, those of those of you who know a little bit about my work know that I've been working on issues of representation, culture, the political economy of culture, broadly speaking, from advertising to media to museums. So this was kind of like a natural topic for me, especially when before I turned to academia, I used to work in the arts a bit. I dabbled in that world. Um, and also working with artists as as uh, as activists in my book, um, Barrio Dreams, where I was working in East Harlem. Um, so this is kind of a topic that I was kind of uh, an observant, right? Um, for, for a while, I felt like this is the book I kind of had to write, but I didn't kind of dare to delve into that world. I think before we were talking about the art world as this kind of like intimidated intimidating space you and I kind of before we started to this conversation um, and I think that perhaps that kind of intimidating um, space aura also kept me from delving into this thinking that even though 
Latinx art is something that I had kind of observed, um, that I was not equipped to write about it, like like all of us feel, right? Um, so, um, so, but, you know, part of being an ethnographer is part of like learning the codes of particular, of those spaces where we, that we study, whether it is uh, going to developing developer uh, conferences, you know, when I was doing the work on shopping malls or uh, conferences around marketing, right, with the people that are involved in advertising, this was this was a world that also necessitated me to learn the codes and kind of kind of talk to the people that are part of that world. And uh, and what we do as ethnographers is is kind of um, tease through right those codes that and particularly challenge that idea that that um, you know that you have to be uh, a, a specialist uh, in order to be able to talk about about the space. Um, so I don't know if this makes any sense, but. But um, I, I also feel that as an anthropologist and an ethnographer, because my livelihood does not depend on the arts, I was able to be a better observant and more of a critical observant because I was able to pinpoint um, issues that people in the art world don't necessarily want to talk about because they feel that it compromises their uh, issues of quality or their positionality or their ability to get jobs in the art world. Uh, such as issues of racism in the arts, for instance. Um, um, there were a lot of, or the market, the role that the market plays in creating value and aesthetic judgments. So I felt that there was a lot of, a lot of issues that I had, that I felt that, that I was the right person to write about, especially because I was more of an outsider um, and, and able to, to go there, able to dare to go there, able to to tease through a lot of that, a lot of those kind of authenticating um, canons that that keep us from exploring and criticizing the space um, and that intimidate, but more than anything, keep us from really probing how race operates in this art, in, in this space. Thank you for that. I was, that got me thinking, um, particularly about, as we were talking about before we, we, we started here, uh, I admitted that, you know, for me, uh, whenever I see books on art, um, I feel intimidated just because I feel like I don't know anything about art, right? I, I don't feel I'm qualified to even read a book, you know, sometimes and uh, and interview an author, you know, that, that that's written on it. Um, and what I found interesting in your comment there is both the intimidation within the art world, right? Uh, so, you know, you as an outsider, being the right person to write this book because it essentially it's uh, you can address the issues that are apparent, particularly to Latinx art, artists, particularly in regards to inequality um, and, and their place within, you know, the, the art world, but you can do so without the repercussions that, that maybe a, you know, an art critic or, or writer for a newspaper or, you know, um, owners of galleries, you know, might be willing to do so as publicly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is this, 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 these are spaces that are so much ruled by money and, you know, and elitism and class, right? They're so elitist, these spaces. Um, and, you know, part of what we need to do is, is de-fetishize this space, you know, because, you know, artists all, you know, we're all artists, right? And art is not any other, you know, um, why, why, why are we not looking? And in fact, that was one of the questions that, that guided me to explore this, this topic in particular, how easy it is for us to summon ideas of Latinx 
workers, uh, voters, consumers. You know, there's so many um, areas um, in society where we kind of like some ide- ideas of Latinx, right? Like, um, or, or through a, a bunch of other stereotypes. Yet when we think about the art world or creativity, we kind of stumble and can imagine um, Latinx art or Latinx creativity. Um, what does that say um, about the value um, of Latinx culture when we cannot imagine, when we stumble to imagine Latinx art as a space, not only that it exists and that it's thriving, but that all of us should have access to. And I think it also has a lot to do with the ways in which Latino studies has developed in that right now, when you think about uh, Latinx studies as a field, you have a lot of incredible work interdisciplinarily in the history and anthropology in all fields. Yet to me, it was fascinating to see how in art history, Latinx studies was very underdeveloped. There are so few people that are doing dissertations in Latinx art in our history. In fact, that was one of the reasons why the U.S. Latinx Art Forum was founded within the College Art Association very recently. Um, just to kind of like address the fact that within the College Art Association, which is the professional organization within our history, they didn't have panels on Latinx art. They didn't have a lot of people talking about this. So, so I felt like uh, within the art, uh, within the art as a field, right? The, the the this is such a wide dominant space that Latinx art has not hadn't ha- didn't have a space until recent, and that's a problem. So a lot of the a lot of our inability uh, to talk about this and to imagine that this is a space that is intimidating and that has nothing to do with us has a lot to do with the ways in which the discipline of art history has developed um, for decades now. Where, where you have had, um, where Latinx art has been totally on the margins and therefore our ability to intervene in that space um, has been imperiled because of that. You commented um, there that, you know, Latinx art itself is, is a space. And it starts to get to um, how you, you open the book, which is defining what Latinx art is and, um, or who Latinx artists are. Like, what is it that defines um, art and artists as Latinx. Can you go a bit more into that? And, um, you know, how it's, it's what I appreciate what you do in the book show, how it's, it's, it's not something that's just obviously aesthetically parent, right? Like maybe one would expect, right. That it would Latinx art is supposed to reveal itself by just looking at it. Right. Absolutely. It's like the same, you know, I would respond by saying, you know, what is Latinx history? Um, what is um, Latinx um, literature, right? Like, I think that a lot of this, um, so, so, so that's the answer, Latinx art, right? Um, I think that this, these are categories that we develop to make interventions within archives and within canons where we are excluded. That's really all it, all it is. Um, and, and so because we, because we know that these are categories that are just the point of entry for larger conversations, right? Because... Um, when you talk about Latinx literature, you know, it has been able for us to imagine positions, right, uh, fields, book series. It allows us to intervene into that conversation of the, liter- the literary canon, for instance. So imagine the same with Latinx art, right? It's, it's a category that helps curators, archiv- archivists, um, um, museum educators and people to imagine a place for including a population that has historically been marginalized, not included or not recognized as American artists, 
or as Latin American artists, which is the dominant category around a lot of the conversation around Latin anything has been um, dominated, you know, within the context of museums and art history. So, so that's one of the points I make is that, you know, it's refusing, refusing trying to narrow it to a particular definition or to a look. And instead for us to imagine Latinx art as a space to imagine and begin to address populations that have not been addressed in, in these spaces. Now, having said that, I particularly pay attention to the in-betweenness, right, of Latinx artists, particularly the fact that whereas any artist from Latin American background in the context of the United States is immediately recognized, you know, it includes artists that are born and raised with artists that are immigrant artists and all of that. I, I call particular attention to those artists that lack what I call national privilege, that um, that have these diasporic identities that are not recognized here or there, and that makes them especially marginalized in the context of the art world, especially in the context of an art world that is so dominated by national references of value. Um, and in particularly uh, 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 black and brown artists, um, the artists that are that 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 are that haven't had the benefit of um, national institutes, in, in, national institutional structures for validating their work. Like, uh, and that's, that's, that's a concept of national privilege that I'm happy to talk about a little bit more later. It's so, it's so essential um, in that I'm trying to think about what are the variables, you know, we already in our community in Latinx studies are becoming more adept at thinking about colorism and racism in our community. But I think that it's also important to think about other variables, too, that can impact recognition um, or hierarchies in particular contexts um, or spaces of representation. And in the context of the arts, that, as I said, is such a national-centric space ruled by biennials, ruled by um, national art fairs, um, nation-based, city-based, city-slash-nation-centric fairs. Um, and also national elites and embassies um, that are fueling and impacting and funding and sponsoring um, events and branding themselves in the in the in in the global sphere. Um, it, it really matters for the uh, when artists when when artists in the United States um, when Latinx artists may or may not be able to be branded according to national categories. So that's one of the things that I that I discuss um, later in the book. But but the key point, just to go back to your question, is to is to refuse re- reducing Latinx art to an aesthetic or to something that could be easily identifiable, but rather to imagine it as a project of addressing, of inclusion, of troubling, and perhaps even a project of transforming the art world, right? Because I think that when we begin to foreground issues of race, um, that have uh, and racism in the arts that are so central when you begin to include and think through Latinx artists, um, it is a potentially is is a potentially pro- um, radical um, intervention into into how value is created in the art world. Um, how should you know what is art? Where should it live? Um, that help us think beyond those kind of objective centric and market-centric definitions of, of the art world that many of us feel really alienates um, many communities and that does not really represent the way that, that our artists and, uh, uh, you know, what artists produced um, 
and that tends to exclude um, art that is more, um, I would say, you know, more, more ephemeral, not object-based, that is not as easily commodifiable, or art that is aligned with social movements. Um, I don't know if this rambling makes any sense here, but the point is, is how do we, um, how do we, what can we learn about the art world by thinking about Latinx artists and how, what can we, what are, what are lessons that could lead us to transformation and to structural transformation of this space that, that could benefit not only the inclusion of Latinx artists, but also make, make it a more equitable space for everybody, right? Which is ultimately what I'm, what I'm hoping this book help us do. Yes, that's very helpful. I mean, it particularly helped someone like me, again, so, um, you know, not in tune with, you know, the politics and, and the structure of the art world. I mean, really likening the, the project, you know, of developing, uh, you know, of Latinx art and artists and, and their, their, their space within the art world as, you know, as an intervention, you know, like, you know, when we think of, um, you know, what the, Ch- the Chicano, the Puerto Rican, you know, movement, what those did, right, uh, in the late 60s and 70s to, to create space, right, institutional space, right, in academia, to create space in, in literature. Um, artists, uh, you know, filmmakers, right, are, are trying to do the same thing, right? So um, it, definitely I find it cool. Absolutely. And, and, and that is, you know, a great way of looking at this is, um, you know, the, my book focuses on the visual arts because I wanted to particularly highlight issues of racism that played out in markets. You know, I've always been very interested in how capitalism works and issues of consumption and, and you know, and capitalism, basically, and the commodification of culture more broadly. Um, but, but yes, it's important to, to also think about that, you know, the arts are, are, have been central, you know, to, to our history, right, at all levels. Um, and I think that that's something that we need to always, um, you know, be more aware of. And, and, and I think that we're in a perfect moment right now in Latinx studies where, you know, our work is so interdisciplinary, right, to begin to think more through the work of artists at all levels, you know, um, especially especially when art history is not doing work in our artists, right, especially when art history is so behind um, looking at the the visual history of, of our community, it's really time that anthropologists, sociologists, that all of us in all of the different, um, um, you know, from, from our different standpoints, um, you know, fill the void and that that's actually what's been happening. Um, I, I think that the most exciting work um, in, in terms of Latinx art or, or writing um, about Latinx artists are in fact, are, are not really in our history because there's a few people writing in our history. So, um, but for that, you know, we need to, we need to create more linkages or opportunities where uh, our community can learn about um, our artists. And, and if I could intervene here, I, I have to say that uh, one of the motivating, one of the reasons why I wrote this book um, had a lot to do with my students because I was, you know, in my classes, I was kind of amazed that whenever you ask students to identify Latinx artists, they would, they would tell me Diego Rivera or Frida Kahlo or Botero. And I was like, oh my goodness, nobody could ever think about a Latinx artist, right? And, and I was kind of like shocked to learn that, you know, nobody, this history is not taught, like, you know, none of us are ever taught our own history in schools, but 
especially the artistic history and the visual history, there's you, you're not going to see that. So that's another reason why I think it's so important that we begin to to um, to break through and begin to um, to incorporate um, artists in a lot of the work we do um, and promote their work and uplift their work. Um, yeah, it's it's part of a oh, how do I say this? Um, yeah, it's part of uplifting our community. Period. Right. Well, and yeah. and I, when I said uplifting, I don't mean like as as in the bootstrap, like ah, uh, but you know, in the in the in the ways in which you know we have so much talent and and you know, uh, part part of what we're doing, you know, all of us in our work is is um, you know, it's 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 advocacy work, right? And this is something that a lot of the people that I that I interviewed uh, kept telling me, you know, gallery work is advocacy work, writing about our artists is advocacy work. Um, all of this is kind of like advocacy work to ensure that new generations um, do not grow up um, not knowing about about our history, really. Because this is, you know, another way to think about it is 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 what are the histories and the stories that that are being told that people do not know because they're not looking in the visual repertoire, right? Um, especially when when our history is so um, not well developed, the visual arts can become another archive for us to explore and for us to learn from about communities that you know that are not that are not covering the archives that are not covered in in the historical record so in other words I could go on but there's a lot there's a lot of reasons why we should be looking at artists um, and I'm just hoping that what the book does is kind of alert people um, to the fact that there's a lot of creatives out there that that we don't know about and, and, and we should know about them. Um, and that's why at the end, I also include this appendix. I don't know if you've noticed, right? The, the, um, yes. the long list of like non-comprehensive list of Latinx artists that everybody should know. Uh, because that was another thing that I, you know, when I was doing interviews, everybody's like, what are you talking about? Where are these artists? I don't know any of them. Who are you talking about? Right. Um, and I, and I felt like, wow, you know, that's very telling, right? Um, so what the what the list does is that it it, it I'm, I'm hoping that it it, it it makes it intrigues people into exploring um, and maybe make their own lists, right? Like who's who else is out there that we don't know about and we should know about? Yes, uh, well, and thank you for including that um, you know appendix that's right of Latinx artists. Um, that was really great, and it's, it was it was just wonderful to just flip through those pages and and, and see some names for me that are familiar, but obviously, I mean, I know virtually none of them, right? I'm not aware of them, um, and so that gets us to the issue of, of invisibility, right, within the art world. I think a lot of our several of our li- listeners can understand the challenge as we've been speaking about history and literature, um, you know that. Latinx writers, authors, historians, um, you know, uh, have faced in breaking into those spaces. But help us understand, you know, the, the, the internal politics of the art world and the structure of the art world that makes it so difficult for Latinx artists, you know, to break through, to be visible, to get recognized. Yeah, I, I would say um, racism and, uh, and money. Um, ra- racism first in the incredible assumption that Latinx uh, are 
are, are you know forever foreigners and that they're not considered central to the um, that U.S. American, you know, in parentheses, because we know America is, is bigger than the United States. But when you think about the, you know, art history and the American canon, right, that that relative, that's long historical exclusion, you know, not only of Latinx, but also African-American artists, except that with African-American artists, because of the, um, um, the, 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 the racial history and the racial ideology in this country of, you know, bipolar, you know, black and white, there's always been a space for recognizing the marginal history of African-American artists, um, museums, university museums were central to that history. And there's a lot of African-American art historians and, and a whole infrastructure, in fact, I refer people to the work of Patricia Banks, who has done incredible work in highlighting the infrastructure um, uh, of support for African-American arts that has led to the current Black art boom that people are celebrating today. Um, but within within the context of Latinx art, that kind of like forever foreigner, right, um, that is so central to the racialization of Latinx people in this country, has really hindered their incorporation um, into in most American museums. So you have this kind of racialization where they're excluded in mainstream museums, um, but also they are excluded increasingly um, into a lot of the institutes that New Yorkans and Chicanx people founded in the 1970s. And that's another part of the story that I tell, but it's really interesting to explore the ways in which a lot of the institutional structures for creating alternative art, like El Museo del Barrio, for instance, Taller Boricua, a lot of these institutions also had were um, didn't could um, um, were were also um, uh, you know had limitations for Latinx art because of a variety of uh, I would say capital centric interests that also. Um, transformed a lot of the mission. You know, El Museo del Barrio is a classic example in that in the 1990s, as we know, it expanded a mission to represent not only Puerto Rican, but also Latin American art in the United States. So I I think that the whole Latin America, the creation of Latin American art as a category really was um, a key catalyst that also led to the marginalization of Latinx art, because a lot of the institutions that could have perhaps focused on advancing Latinx art um, akin to how African-American institutions began to advance African-American artists, um, shifted instead to, to the more profitable, marketable category of Latin American art, which since the 1990s has been spearheaded by elites, embassies, um, auction house, houses, to the point that today, um, many art history programs do have experts on Latin American art and do graduate P- uh, PhDs in Latin American art, where you don't have, uh, where you have maybe one out of um, every other year that that ex- with an expertise in Latinx art. So, so in a way, uh, what I try to do is bring attention to the institutional structures, right, um, that that create value whether it is um, art history programs, whether it is museums and the curators, um, the art press and the market, it is evident that there are institutional structures, um, capital interest, money that, that have created and that have uplifted certain categories and not others. And that a lot of the thinking about what is valuable is very imbued with, with um, 
racist evaluations of value that has to do with, you know, what is regarded as more or less profitable. Um, and ultimately, what I want to highlight, what, what I do is kind of tease apart that kind of like the, 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 the mechanism of money and capital that feeds, in, that makes some categories more valuable than others, challenging the idea that this is, this is a space where identities don't matter and that is ultimately, you know, value is kind of like a magical thing that just happens that we should all recognize. Um, I show that that's not the case, that, that in fact that magical idea of value around what is an artist that we should all look at is created by collectors, is created by patrons, is created by mechanisms that 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 um that that support um that support some artists and some categories and not others um and that's why it's so important for us who are advocates of for latinx art but also art latinx culture um to create programs in latinx studies um to create spaces to show latinx art um, why institutional spaces like Latino institutes, you know, all universities should have, you know. Um, I'm, I'm a, I've become, the older I've become, the, the more of a proponent I've become of, of the need for all of us who are a little bit more senior to, you know, to change the conversation and to, and to try to invest in institutional spaces where that, that could uphold, that, that could uplift our community. Not uplift our community, I hate this word, here it comes again, but but um, showcase and support and create community, basically. Um, and, and, and that invisibility, um, you know, and, and, and where that invisibility can be challenged and where that invisibility can be eliminated, um, we have so much work to do, basically, um, as you know, right? Well, yeah, and it's such a great point because, I mean, you're the, I, I, can, I can understand your struggle with, you know, using the word of, of showcasing, right, or, or highlighting, right, lifting up uh, the work, you know, that these communities are doing, because, um, it, you know, in some ways, right, it it, it can be used, um, you know, against, uh, right, the project or, or the effort, people saying, oh, like, you're, you're basically just, you know, lifting up people you know, or, Right, kind of privileging some over others. But what your your these chapters in your book really do is they explode the myth in, in that operates within the art world that the most successful artists or the most successful art that get the highest evaluations and, and whatnot are those that operate by the principle of they just speak for themselves. Right, that is the quality of the work. It's the idea of meritocracy. Oh my that god! Absolutely. <laughs> the top right and which is completely false i mean that's what you show you're just blowing this uh, the whole you know idea up that it's really about it's about networks and it's about privilege and who has access to these spaces and you know who's getting trained in these programs as you've already mentioned you know um that makes them aware right of you know either styles or artists that creates genres and within all those spaces you have a complete ignorance you know of Latinx art and artists and spaces and people. And so, you know, you have to, we have to lift up these, these people and their work and their spaces and, and create the space, right? Because if, if we don't do it, the institutions themselves, the art institutions, academia, you know, uh, capital, right? Uh, they're not going to just all of a sudden, you know, they're not going to see what they don't see. We have to make it visible. Right. Or, or they will see what they want to see, which is that which is more commodifiable 
mm-hmm. and right and what they they think represents you know they're with the with, that, what, what would sell right um and i think that that's um i feel that you know we have a lot to learn from from african american uh community in in regards to um you know how how this category of of, of black art and african american art um you know it was it was decades you know of people patronizing african american owned galleries and 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 really investing you know in black artists right and i think our community uh, our latinx community you know needs to be doing a lot of that um uh, one of the most interesting things when I was doing the research was learning how few people, how few Latinx collectors are there, right? People that, you know, of course, collecting has its own, you know, um, baggage, right? In our community, you know, is regarded as this kind of like colonial category. You know, nobody wants to be a collector, you know, like, you know, we are we are stewards of, you know, of history or whatever it is. But But the fact is that, you know, in our community, we we there's very few people that are promoting our artists or buying our artists um and that's you know one of the reasons sometimes is because people do not know where these artists are right so what i'm hoping and and, and artists want to have audiences you know they, they want to ensure that they are um m- many of the artists i spoke to they, they they wouldn't know where to go to sell their work and and here by the way um instagram has been fantastic because instagram has kind of demo- democratized in a way a little bit of a lot of this kind of elitism of, you know, you have a lot of, and I write about this in the book about how artists are challenging the barriers and, and, and the racist structures of the art world by actually, they're not staying food. They're, they're creating, you know, they're creating new ways of creating audiences and creating um, spaces that, that are not necessarily galleries, for instance. Um, and, and, I, and I think that ultimately what I'm trying to do is Kind of imagine a more democratized world, a more open world, right? Where it's not only like wealthy people that buy work, but you know, all of us, you know, um, can can imagine being part of of community of artists. And I think that you know, reimagine the ways in which the art world functions, so that we we can stop this fetishism of of you know of, of galleries or art fairs, but that. You know, all of us, yeah, all of us can can patronize artists, but that also artists can reach, you know, our community in in ways because that that I also feel is another conversation from the standpoint of uh, Latinx artists who gain some level of success, who are very concerned about the fact that they're not reaching our, that, that, that the more success they have, the less the least connection they have with our communities, right? Um, and we we want to ensure that that um, that you know this this notion that only wealthy people can have art or the only wealthy people can purchase works um, that we we have to challenge that we have to change the world basically we have to change we have to create more equity and we have to ensure that that artists also benefit from their work right now um, I talk a lot about that um, challenging this notion that artists do not benefit from resale royalty rights of their work. I talk a lot about the importance of ensuring that we change the way in which art is sold um, so that it's not only collectors that benefit from resale of the, and the evaluation of the work of, 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 of our artists. Um, so David, there's a lot there and um, I don't know. I just hope that my book becomes part of a larger conversation and that I hope that 
maybe five years from now, people will read my book and say, oh my God, everything this woman described is totally passé because Latinx artists are well regarded and we know about them and they're included in most museums and most museums are are very diverse and we have all these curators that talk about all of these artists and all of these stories are being told. Um, so that's my wish is that when people read my book, they will no longer identify with anything I say because the world would have changed. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I would love. That's why I wrote this book so that it is totally passe within five years. Um, yeah, I would love that. I would love it too. I mean, and I love the idea, you know, that and the goal and the hope that that you have. I mean, it, again, it just resonates so much with me in uh, in the way I view, you know, the elite spaces of academia, right? I mean, the, the elitism within these spaces. I mean, it just it, it makes me sick, right? Um, I love your your phrase of you know democratizing the art world, and I think you know much of our audience is, um, you know, either you know tied to academia in some way or has, you know, spent time in college and, and could, could at least find ways, right, or in the business world um, to, you know, see how that applies, how they've, how they've seen, right, how elitism functions in the different spaces of, of our world and our lives and our politics. And I think it's maddening for all of us. And a, a lot of what we want to do is figure out, well, what can we do about this, right? Um, you, Absolutely. Right, you know, the role of of the need for more critics. We need more critics, right, that are informed about Latinx art and artists that have been trained, right, in Latino studies, that have been trained in Latino history uh, in, order, in order to understand, right, and be able to interpret and see what it is these artists are, are doing. Um, and in some ways, I mean, that, that's that's for the art that is, that is maybe um, aesthetically, you know, guided or directed by that. I mean, others, you know, may not be, as we mentioned, you know, earlier, there's not going to be a single type, aesthetic type of Latinx art, um, but that you have people trained, right, in in that field, in that background, that the need for, as you've mentioned, uh, curators, the need for collectors. I mean, there's a role to, to be played by um, all sorts of different people in this, as well as Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think it's also, you know, you, you brought the point of the elitism of the academia, you know. I, I I totally relate to this because, you know, what I try to do in this book is also, you know, challenge these kind of disciplinary canons that only some people can talk about the art world. I'm like, what are you talking about, you know? Like, it's so ridiculous that we are, you know, in the 21st century thinking about, the you know, fetishizing disciplines and categories, you know like the boundaries of anthropology, the boundaries of art history. You know, we have to challenge a lot of that, you know. Yes, these spaces give us jobs, you know, but frankly, they do not, do not help us think. They do not help us theorize. They do not help us to be free. Um, and I think that what we need to be doing right now is is really cutting through those kinds of, you know, ideas that, um, and that, that's kind of what I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm writing this book. You know, a lot of people told me, oh, well, you know, nobody's going to um, respect your book because you don't, you're, not, you're not an art historian. And I'm like, I don't want this book to be respected. I want this book to be in an, inter- in a, an intervention, right? And I think that, um, yeah, we need to be free and we need to, be, um, we need to think about what it is that we're writing for. Um, I mean, right now I'm very excited about the Society for Anthropology, you know, the, the, the volume that's coming out right now on anthropology refusals by Gina Perez um, and Alex uh, 
Alex Rivera. Did I say his name right? From Notre Dame. Um, they they have this you know new collection of you know Latinx anthropologists who are going to be uh, you know provoking a transformation of the discipline. Right now we have that's exactly the kinds of conversations we need to have. It's like how do we change um, you know the look of anthropology? Who has access to? How do we ask questions about why are we writing what we're writing? Right? Who benefits? Um, and to and to and to push through the disciplinary boundaries of fields is just so important right now particularly the elitism that comes with that, you know, with protecting boundaries. Um, maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'm getting older, I'm getting um, more, um, I, I have less patience for that kind of, you know, conversation about, you know, um, disciplines. Um, I have no patience for that conversation, the value. I have no patience for conversations of quality, um, yeah, and what this book does is hopefully help us be a little bit freer from those bounds of, you know, of, you know, not only meritocracy, but quality and judgment and, and hopefully, you know, um, get us to, to be, to be more interdisciplinary in our work and in our practice. Yeah, one thing I've been thinking about while we've been, been speaking is, you know, the impact that that art has on, um, you know, there's so many of us, I mean, particularly those that are, that are not, again, either trained or well-read. I, I just, what I'm thinking about here is, is my own students, right? That um, last semester, you know, as our university was forced to shut down, like pretty much all others as a result of the, the coronavirus, um, in an effort to try to uh, kind of rethink some of the assignments I was asking students to do, which were no longer going to be feasible due to um, the lack of being able to, you know, present in front of groups and audiences. Uh, I gave the students an option to, you know, essentially define their own type of um, final project of how, in in this class was a seminar on immigration history, U.S. immigration history. And what I asked them to do is, you know, think of a project uh, in some way that where you could express either in written form or visual in some other way, what it is you've learned. Uh, in this semester, as we've essentially, you know, been discussing several very, very good books that are very recent in, in the field. And what struck me, and this is how it relates to our conversation here, is uh, this was a class of about 18 to 20 students, and um, at least six of them, you know, chose to paint something. You know, they wanted to express what they learned visually through various types of paintings or artistic representation, um, Others use photography uh, as, as a way to create a, you know, a type of visual representation of ideas like you know, assimilation and national belonging. It was just, it was amazing to me um, just how, again, creative they were and how just, um, just automatically several of them, you know, because I didn't even come up with the whole art idea, but immediately when I opened up the door, they said, hey, you know, I, I would love to, I would love to paint something. I would love to photograph something. I would love to make some other type of artistic rendering. Just how many of them quickly, that was their reflexive response. That's what they wanted to do to express how they were, you know? And it made me think of your book and of this call to, you know, really how much, you know, democratizing, um, you know, the, you know, the spaces where artists, you know, traffic, the way, the spaces where artists can present their work, display their work, the, the spaces where people can just be given the opportunity to say it's okay, right, to 
represent yourself. It's okay to express yourself and what you know, what you've learned, what you're thinking about in this way, rather than just through words, rather than just through voice, um, you know? Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's just, that's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering just a, a bit more um, what it is you think that, and kind of speaking to that audience, right, uh, you know, to the, to the listener not tied to the art world, to the student that's listening, um, what are things that, that we can all do, you know, that those of us that are, again, particularly not tied to this world, but what can we do to, if we feel passionate about this, we want to do something, what can we do? Yeah, I, I, I always feel that, you know, especially those of us who are working in institutions and that have access to research funds of any sort, you know, there's always artists in our community, you know, uh, invite them to your classes, you know, um, visit local organizations where you have arts, um, you know, there's that that's one of the amazing things is that. You know, our, all of us are working with community organizations, this and that, but, you know, most of them also do arts. So so I think that that's the key thing is like, um, I'm sorry, this fell. You know, when I did that list of artists we should all know, are people that either I came across or I knew? Imagine if you were to do a list like that, right, of who are the people you're in conversation with that are artists that, you know, um, and and I think that that's the key, the key, the key thing we could all do is like look around us, right? Um, uh, all over the United States, there are artists, are art, art cooperatives, um, art-led organizations that need support, that need um, um, that that you could link with and you could link your students with. So so that's the number one thing is just to to ensure that you know that we are that we have um, our our eyes open to to those. Um, to those community organizations that that are working with with local artists, um, and second, I guess um, do activism with your with your community organizations, mainstream institutions that are not showing Latinx artists. Um, to me, it was fascinating to see how the LA community, the the ways in which they got the MOLA, the Museum of Latin American Art, to open up to finally have Chicanx artists. I mean, imagine, right? a museum in Los Angeles that was focusing on Latin American art and had never had a Chicanx artist, right, in, in, in Los Angeles, right? It was, it was a matter of activism, you know, people writing letters to the board and insisting um, that the institution open up to Chicanx artists, right? I think all over, all over, um, all over the United States, um, you know, we can look around, you know, where, where, what is the big player in our community, in our city? And are they, are they showing Latinx artists, but also diverse artists? You know, are you showing black artists? Are you showing B-pop artists? Are you showing, you know, what is your, to kind of like ensure that, that, that we make it into um, uh, a project, right? To transform um, the ecosystem of the arts that surround us. And that means also ensuring that the that your newspapers, right, have um, journal journalists of color, writers of color. I mean, right, I'm in New York City, and it's kind of embarrassing that the New York Times doesn't have Latinx regular Latinx writers. Uh, the New Yorker, right, uh, the magazine that influences so much of culture and the arts. You know, it's in New York City. Thirty percent of the population here in New York City is, 30, is Latinx, and you don't have. Uh, regular contributors to this to this major publication. So, I think that all of us need to 
be very rigorous about the politics of representation and begin to foreground matter of institutional change and demand right structural transformations. And when we talk about structural transformations, we're talking about ensuring that these institutions look like they should, right, in, in the hiring practices, in the positions of leadership. So I think that those are the two things that I think we need to do is not only highlight and begin to cooperate and, um, um, and make, and, make um, and, and promote the artists in our community, but ensure that the powerful players within your milieu, wherever that is, um, are, 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 put on, are put on guard and are, are warned that, 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 you know, that we're coming after them, you know, because this is the time to be making transformations. And it was going to require structural transformations, real structural transformations. So we as anthropologists, as scholars, need to be agents of that. I agree. Thank you for that. Um, what are some of the, you know, things that you are seeing? I mean, you traveled to, you did quite a lot of travel and and work, you know, for this book, right? Traveling to art shows, to museums, to interviewing curators, critics, collectors, etc. I mean, there's some really cool uh, interviews you got uh, as well. People you're speaking with. Um, I think you got to speak with Cheech Marin. Is that right? Well, it was a fun interview. So yes. <laughs> I mean, he himself, right, being, I mean, you, you really push for the need for collectors, like at least in the the way the art world works, right, in, in creating, raising visibility, creating value. I mean, really a lot of this is done by collectors themselves, and, and he's done quite a bit. Uh, he's one of the examples you've, you you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think it's so important, you know, like everybody, you know, one of my biggest things is like, you know, there's some, a lot of Latinx people that have money, you know, why they should be buying artwork, you know, they should be uplifting this, you know, I always wonder why is why we don't have like celebrities like JLo, you know, buying Latinx art, you know, like, you know, black celebrities have been, you know, very famous about their about their collecting and their promoting of black artists. So, but I think it goes back to the issue of value, right? Like, 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 we need to create that value, right? And the way we create that value is by beginning to invest in our community. And oftentimes, um, you know, in Hispanic Heritage Month, I was I was asked to speak to some um, financial people for for Hispanic Heritage Month, and I actually went. I'm like, okay, well, you guys have money. This is your responsibility. You have to. This is where you need to be buying. This this is where you need to be investing in. And you know what? I was surprised that a lot of them were like, oh my god, I didn't know this existed, right? And people were genuinely interested. And I think that um, you know a lot of our community at all levels. Um, you know, many of us, you know, just like we're so excited about the Selena movie, you know, and we're going to all watch the Netflix series, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we all going to promote, you know, if we know there's an artist, you know, and we have a little money, you know, and guess what? You know, you have a choice to buy art. Wouldn't you want to promote and have like a Latinx artist in your living room? So when people come to your house, you could tell stories about that artist and stories about the theme and the narration and the subject matter. You know, I think, you know, in, in deep inside, right, there's incredible pride in our community. And I think that all it all, all we need is to kind of ensure that we cultivate and, and we, we we kind of connect to local communities of artists. And 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 I and I think that that's that I, I find that a beautiful um, collaboration because you know our artists they they they, they also want to be collected, right, by people that understand them and that respect them and that and that you know and that respect those stories, right? There is something really beautiful about you know, when, when, when 
when when an artist and a collector that when when it's not about money or speculation, you know, about whether this is going to create value, but rather it's like, wow, I really can relate to this story. I can relate to this artist, right? We need to really cultivate those moments where it's anti-capitalist logics that that permeate encounters and exchanges. And that's what, some of the other things that I try to do in the book is try to recover those spaces um, because, you know, we have to, because I refuse to, I refuse to imagine a world where where the market it's all of the, all of the other um, ideas and imaginations that are contained in in this space um, because otherwise you know to me it wouldn't be as interesting. Yeah, uh, I entirely agree. I, it made me think of um, you know you you provide several examples uh, and I wonder if you might. Maybe as we, we get to close here, if you could, maybe this is the point to end on here. Um, if you could provide some examples of, you know, the type of work that artists are doing particularly within their communities. And you mentioned that so much of, so many Latinx artists are, have such a strong tie to their community. Many of them, you know, volunteer their, their time. I mean, they, they're either teachers or they work in local museums or they work in local schools or, uh, you know, they're, they're doing various things, um, in order not just and not just purely as you're saying here right not just to you know buy into the the capitalist logic of you know that they're trying to make money and, and and promote fame but they're you know they're trying to support their communities they're trying to educate children and, and educate their their communities of you know, possibilities um so I mean, are there any ideas or, or examples that come to your mind um of you know either specific artists or institutions or things that that um, you know, artists are doing on the ground themselves, right? Absolutely, that the- absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I also want to highlight that whereas it's true that many of our artists are are activists too, and they're doing all this um, labor on paid labor. It's also very important to re- remember that artists also are are workers, right? And they need to be paid, right? Um, so. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I warn a lot this idea of like asking artists for donated work for fundraisers and expect that they're there always to collaborate and amplify causes. We need to always try to um, ensure that we respect their labor too, right? And ensure that we always advocate for fair equity and to pay artists, right? Because labor, you know, they're, they're, they're workers, they're artists, but artists are also, they also need to eat, right? But um, but I want to I wanna end by uh, shouting out the work of Chilin Rodriguez and Alicia Grillon. They're two artists from the Bronx um, that I talk about in my book, and both of them have been doing a lot of activism since COVID in organizing food drives in the Bronx uh, around the community. And um, if anybody's listening and wants to support um, I want um, they could donate to their initiatives. I believe it's called the North Bronx Collective, um, where they are uh, from, which they're organizing a lot of the food drives. Um, they have fundraisers and um, and um, yeah, and um, Chelene has been doing beautiful drawings of essential workers that kind of amplify the need for really appreciating all the all the all the laborers that are keeping the city and the United States going in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and Alicia Grujon has been doing beautiful interventions, kind of photographs where she herself takes the persona of some of the essential workers to call attention to, to 
to to this workforce, but also to call attention to um, to matters of equity, not only in the arts, but you know, in in our service in our service force. Um, and both of them are um, they're all they're also two artists that I think are brilliant, but also challenge the more commodifiable aspects of the art world. You know, they produce objects that are more ephemeral, right? Performance art or drawings or video that are not so easy to collect, right? So these are not artists that like, you know, would be, would be that are so easily, that, that cannot sell work as easily and therefore that are not as easily inserted on markets is what I'm saying. Um, but artists that are doing really incredible work and that make us think about, right, what's so exciting about Latinx art right now, which is that, it's 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 really at the pulse of so many incredible conversations, causes, but also that help us think about an art world that is not so reducible to objects and to things that could be purchased and sold. I love that, Arlene. Thank you for your time and your willingness to come on to uh, New Books and Latino Studies. It's uh, uh, I'm chuckling to myself here because it's. I know it's been about five years since the last time we talked, but it doesn't. It definitely doesn't feel like that. And just thank you for uh, being so. Uh, By the way, gen- I wanted to to correct something. You said that Latinus Inc. was award winning, and I want to say humbly that Latinos Inc. never won any awards. Are you serious? <laughs> no, never. Um, uh-huh. You may be confusing Latino Spin, which won the best book in Latino studies in 2010. But I didn't want your readers to think that Latinos Inc was award-winning, um, but although I appreciate your love for it, it's one of my favorites too, so thank you. Yeah, well, shame on the, uh, shame on all the awards. Yeah, that's I mean- right, shame on them, that's right, but that, that's why, again, we don't buy into these notions of quality, right. aesthetics, and criteria, and prices. It's all political. It's awarding my book. I'll say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Although I will be, I will be uh, uh, r- r- routing for your next book to be a prize-winning book, though. Okay. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Well, thank you again, Arlene. Okay. Muchas gracias. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>